Hi, everybody. This is your cousin, Brucey. And you are about to go on an excursion following your dream with our host, Robert Miller, a great podcast. And I'm looking forward to listening to I Love to Follow My Dream. Everyone has a dream. Robert Miller is a musician who had a dream to become a rock star. He followed his dream and he succeeded. If you're ready to pursue and succeed at your dream, then listen up and get inspired and motivated to take action today. Welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast with listeners in 200 countries. I'm Robert Miller, your host. You're in for a special treat today. My guest is the amazing Kreskin. Kreskin is a mentalist who has amazed and entertained audiences around the world for over six decades. He was a regular on television in the 1970s, particularly on Johnny Carson, where he appeared 61 times. How about that? He's also been on Letterman, Howard Stern, and Jimmy Fallon, among others. Preskin makes predictions. He does not claim to have paranormal or clairvoyant powers, and he's not a psychic. And you know that in every episode of this podcast, I like to feature a song of mine underneath the introduction and at the end, and I always try to make that song relevant somehow to my guest. And in this instance, I've chosen as the featured song, Trippin' from the album of the same name by my band, Project Grand Slam. This is the album that went to number one on Billboard. I chose Trippin' because you're going to think you're Trippin' when you experience the amazing Kreskin. So Kreskin, I want to welcome you to the Follow Your Dream podcast. We're on the air now, are we? We are on the air now. All right. Listen, I, I, I've got to tell you that... Uh, I, I, you fascinate me. I'm, 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 I want your listeners to know that I'm very much impressed with your background and what you've accomplished, not only in the music field, but the popularity of your show in some 200 countries. This is, this is absolutely remarkable. And I've traveled, the airline in industry estimates that I've flown over 3 million miles in my career. I'm 88 years old have not retired. I love my work. I have a great passion for what I do. And uh, this is what makes it interesting because you're in you're in live work as far as performances are concerned or recordings are concerned. And I love music. As a matter of fact, in uh, some of my performances, for only a, a 90 minute show or a two hour show, the piano plays maybe a 10 or a 15 minute role because of something I do with the piano that no pianist has ever done in history. It's not a magic act or what have you. It has to do with the power of suggestion. So it's, it's, it's I, I feel like you're a person I want to know better. By the way, folks, I want to just let you know that uh, don't worry about it. If Robert and I get together, I promise you, I dare not try to read his thoughts on camera. I'm only joking, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, this is a good way to start, Kreskin, because I'd really like you to tell people what it is that a mentalist does. What are the powers that you possess? Well, as I said, 
I don't want to give the impression of any uh, special powers or what have you, and, 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 or psychic or what have you. I happen to believe very much in what I do because a lot of it deals with my tuning in on the thinking of people who are participating in my performances. Uh, the uh, uh, situation is that I don't look into a crystal ball or what have you. You ask what I did for a living. Uh, what I do is I, I, I use people's thinking to tune in on their thoughts. I don't use the term uh, mind reader, although that's a popular entertainment term. They use the term mentalist instead. But the idea of a mind reader is that you're looking into someone's head and be, being able to read page after page of what's in their head or what's on their mind, which is, if I could do that, I'd be in trouble and you'd be reading about me being in prison for abusing. <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. But at the same time, I may have them concentrate on a series of words or a series of digits and in a fun demonstration, uh, expand upon this, what have you. And the other thing is I am not a fortune teller. I cannot foretell the future, although I can tell people sometimes under certain conditions where they plan to go to or what, what's in their mind about visiting a place and what have you. And this gets them very, very excited. Also, also, and, and people who've watched me on television, and you can you can see uh, some of my appearances that are on uh, on the repeats on TV. Just just go to amazingcreskin.com, and my series was on for five and a half years. And by the way, with Carson, I have to tell you a, an interesting story. Carson used to get a kick out of what I did, but he saw me on a couple of shows, and it may have happened on one of his shows. When I walked on, I sometimes walk very identically, and on one of the shows, it could have been Mike Douglas or what have you, I tripped and fell flat on my face. I didn't hurt myself there. I'm lying there. And in one of the shows, I stayed there while the host of the show kidded about it and said, gee, I hope we can get Kreskin help and everything and so forth. And the host of the show, when we went to a commercial break and I got up, he said, thank you for Kreskin. Thank you, Kreskin. You're laying there gave me something to kid about and ramble on about. And you gave me a, a whole ad-lib segment, which I appreciate. And Carson saw this happen on one of the shows. And he created a character on his show. And those of the older folks who remember Carson, remember the character Karnak. Yep, the amazing Karnak. Do you remember when Karnak came on and he was playing playing the Karnak character, he came over to a table and his head would tilt forward as if he was slight, slightly drinking and so forth. And he based that character on yours truly. I gave him the idea. I didn't suggest this to him. He saw it happen on a show. I gave him the idea of creating a character that got woozy and so forth. And that's where Karnak came from. So it's interesting through the years how people have, have uh, uh, there's a uh, show out now. It's called, uh, the Institute, and it's done by a uh, famous writer, Stephen King. And don't you know, there's a there's a the, the latest version is 500 and some pages long. He's a brilliant comedy writer, and but if you read it, you'll find out that one of the characters in the book is called Little Creskin. So <laughs> <laughs> no, I I find my way to some of the darn. And by the way. The, the the supernatural strangeness is in the character. That's not my lifestyle, believe me, folks. I'm sure you know. 
All right, but Kreskin, I want to go back a little bit because there are people that are listening to this podcast that really don't know you, don't know your background, don't know exactly what it is that you have been doing professionally. So I'd appreciate if you would just go through that for everyone. One of the features in my performances all over the world, and I'm the only one doing this, and, and when my programs are reviewed, if I'm working at a theater in Las Vegas or, or what have you, and by the way, uh, so you folks know, those of you in the New Jersey area, I will be on May 20th and May 27th, May 20, 20th and 27th, appearing at the Resorts Hotel and Casino in Atlantic City for an evening performance. And uh, you may participate. But one of the features in all of my performances, and this, and, and people who know me say, Christian, how can you keep doing this? It's, it's got to be nerve-wracking. I gather a committee from the audience of strangers, people who don't know me and I've not met before, I hand the four of them my check. I then have one of the people who work in the theater come on stage to join me because that person is going to escort me from the theater. One of the committee members leaves and I am now escorted from the theater where I cannot see or hear what's happening inside the theater. If the show is outdoors and sometimes I perform for eight or 9,000 people in the events and what have you, they have a car off the stage, which has all the windows covered with heavy tarp and what have you. The reason is this, because while I'm out of the theater, that committee takes my check and hides it anywhere in the theater. Long as it's safe, long as I don't have to climb scaffolds or what have you, they hide it anywhere, on a person or at a place. Now, and I return, no questions are asked. I don't converse with the committee to hit it. I just admonish one person to concentrate and follow me wherever I go because they're to talk to me mentally on how I define the check. The reason being, and the reason is a very dramatic thing, if I don't find my check, I forfeit my fee. It is returned to the organization that booked me, and the program is for free. And I've lost a couple of thousand dollars on a couple of dates because this being a situation. But you can imagine, in universities, and I, I, I've done maybe 500 in this country and 500 in Canada, and, 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 and other elsewhere, other Asian, what have you. But they have me back sometime. I've been at universities five and six and eight or nine times through the years because they find it fascinating. I remember one university, I was not inside an auditorium because it was family weekend, and because of the parents attending, as well as the teachers and the students, they didn't have a, the theater was not large enough to house everybody. So it was being held outdoors. And there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, maybe a thousand sitting outdoors and what have you. They took me inside the school and put me in a room. But when I came out, I now knew that this check was hidden amongst the audience or somewhere in the confines of the staging and what have you. And I'm now walking through the audience and I suddenly froze and I turned and I'm looking at a gentleman sitting, not in the bleachers where they had bleachers set up, but the first row, he's sitting there. And I said, sir, would you stand? He did. I said, would you open your mouth? Well, there was no check. 
I apologize to him. I said, sir, I apologize. If I've offended you, please forgive me. And I walked away from him, walked back to the stage and picked one of the other people who had the check. I now am walking through the audience again and something made me stop. And I turn and lo and behold, I'm looking at the same gentleman amongst uh, hundreds and hundreds of people, the same gentleman I was stopped in front of before. I said, sir, would you stand? I said, sir, if I embarrass you, just sit down and I will end the test here. Open your mouth. Does this have to do with the roof of your mouth? I will never forget this as long as I live. He reached in his mouth, took out his upper plates and handed me my check. <laughs> well, the most ingenious, I remember once walking outdoors through a crowd and I bumped into a man. I said something about a gun and I, I apologized and I walked through the audience. I came back to him and I said, you know, sir, I don't know why I said gun, but can you come towards the stage? I brought him to the stage. I said, can I open your jacket? He said, if you're careful. I thought, what does he mean? I opened the jacket. He was a plain clothesman and he was wearing a shoulder holster. I said, sir, I don't handle guns. Can I take the gun out of your holster? He said, if you're careful. I took the gun out, turned the gun towards me, and here they had taken tweezers and fed the check into shreds down the barrel of the gun. Wow. So my program is a dramatic experience involving the audience and myself as well as you can imagine. All right. But let's stop for a second because I want to explore this a little bit further. So you, you you have this check of yours, they've taken it, they've hidden it somewhere, you don't know where it's being hidden. And go back to that first one, you see, you see a gentleman in the, in the audience, and you ask him to open his mouth, and somehow or other that check is in his mouth. What made you stop in front of him? What made you think that he was the person? Explain that for people. Well, the bottom line is, the person behind me is concentrating. And I get the impression that the person was thinking mentally for me to stop at this person. But it was a strange experience for me to want to ask a man to open his mouth and then see no check because then I, at that point I gave up at the first time around, only coming back again. And I got the same impression that the person was thinking about the same individual and thinking about his mouth. Many times as I walk through the audience, I find myself coming upon a man or woman and then kneeling down on the floor and ending up taking off their shoe. And the shoe that I took off, it turns out, is the one that has the check inside it. So you can understand that my, my work deals with the concentration of an individual and the impressions that I receive from that person and, and how clearly they concentrate because it's based on that. Now, in the case of the person being in a man's upper plates, I don't reach into people's mouth and take plates out because that's the one time that it happened. And unfortunately, what I said is, does it have anything to do with your mouth? Because that's when he reached in, took out his upper plates and handed. But I knew that this person seemed to be thinking about the person's mouth, and I didn't know where to go from then. It's just become something I've done all over the world, in Japan, with an audience that did not speak English. But somehow the images I kept getting from the person, and then I found it on, the, on an individual in the audience. 
Sometimes I'll find it in, hidden in a man's wallet and so forth. But it's one of the highlights. And p- performers who know me personally say, Kreskin, I, I don't know how you can do it because I would be a nervous wreck with the chance of losing and having, I've lost it a couple of times and that was it. I still go on with my work. Hi everybody, this is Robert Miller, your host. It's finally spring here in the United States. So I'm playing my song, Spring Dance, underneath this message. Spring is a time for renewal and growth, and I've just begun the third year of this podcast. It's been quite a ride so far. Over 170 episodes, more than 800,000 downloads, ranked in the top 1% of all podcasts, with listeners in 200 countries. My guests have included famous musicians, actors, directors, broadcasters, corporate CEOs, and others. My goal with each is to have fun and entertain you, the audience, and of course, to inspire you to follow and succeed at your dream. As a professional musician with a dozen highly acclaimed albums and millions of video views and streams, I infuse my music into each episode, and the podcast has allowed me to introduce my music to a worldwide audience. If you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to the podcast so you get each episode when it airs. And also, please sign up for our weekly emails, which keep you up to date on everything. The links are in the show notes to each episode. And also, please check out our website at followyourdreampodcast.com. I want to thank you all for listening and keep on rocking. All right, but I want to go through this again because this is pretty fascinating for everybody. So you're in an, an auditorium kind of setting. There's many, many people there. You know that somewhere in that setting is the check. And as you go through the audience, you're picking up images or vibrations or thoughts. Whatever comes to me, yes, in one case, in one case in a theater in New York, uh, the theater had a balcony, and I wanted to turn, and I said, uh, uh, the person behind me, just follow me. He wasn't talking to me. I said, follow me. I've got to go upstairs. So I'm upstairs, and there were people sitting upstairs in, in the balcony, but the balcony was an old, old theater, had booths on it. You know, the booths that people sit in and can rent right. it from watching a play or a show or what have you. And I walked over to the booth. I climbed into the booth. A, a family, I guess, was sitting there, and I was finding myself reaching outside the booth, which I'll never let them do anything like that again, because I found myself reaching out to a rod, because the rod, the booth had lights attached to it that were aimed towards the stage where I was performing on, but I wasn't on the stage now. And I'm reaching towards the light. And one story up, I fell out of the booth. The audience screamed hysterically. And as I'm toppling out of the booth, the man, and I'll tell you, 
He could have saved my life. The man sitting there as I fell reached with his hand and swung it under my clothes and caught my belt, which there I hung, swinging in the air. People screaming. They got some security people to come up and help him. But if he didn't catch me and I was carried out of the booth down to the stage where I lay on the floor there because uh, I was stretched out and, 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 and strained and what have you and what have you. And if he didn't catch me, I probably would have broken my neck, broken my back and what have you. One of the most dramatic incidents in a, in a book, there's a diagram that the, the, the person who did the, 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 the writing and the drawing of the book, I should say, drawing through a diagram of myself hanging off the side of a booth but it's one of the most dramatic. And by the way, now, did that person have the check? Is that why you stopped there? No, no, the person, no, the person did not. No, he did not. He just knew the story when he interviewed me because he was doing drawing diagrams for the book. No, no, no. The uh, person uh, was in the audience who hid the check and hid it up up this outside the thing there. But uh, it was. Uh, I, I I have some dramatic stories through the years to tell because my my. My life is the shows are not scripted. Many of them are, and many things are not because who would ever think of hiding? Now, when my check is hidden, I say, wherever it's hidden, it's got to be safe for me to be able to find it, safe for anybody to walk to it and what have you and what have you, because I can't take chances like that anymore. No, I can imagine. All right, now look, you also do prediction. Tell us about that part of your performance. Those deal with uh, sometimes. Uh, there's a game going on, and I'll, I'll sometimes predict the results of a game. I have predicted some things uh, publicly through the years of, 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 of uh, elections or what have you. I would not, I will not predict this election because I don't want to get involved in uh, in politics. All right, but give me one example of how you helped to solve a crime with your skills. Well, recently, in in uh, a few years ago, in uh, in West Caldwell, New Jersey, there was a hit and run. And uh, the police came to me with three witnesses, elderly people, who were almost hysterical about the scene. They said, Kreskin, we can't seem to get much out of them. We know that you're able to work with people because of your use of the power of suggestion. You've had officers about it in the past. And can you help us here? I tried to work with one woman. And uh, I couldn't do much with her. She was too hysterical. It was a horrible scene. The second one, I was able to extract from them part of the uh, the license plate number, not the whole number. The third woman, I was able to work with her. I was able to relax her and have her concentrate. And slowly, the numbers came. And it was the rest of the license plate number. So they had a full number. It turns out the person who had the car, had stolen the car and gone to Connecticut. And the next day he was found by virtue of the license plate number. And he was taken to court and, and tried because of what he had done and what have you. But that situation was able to clarify and through the pieces I was able to extract from these women, get the entire license plate number. But things like that through the years, no, I don't go into places and say, you have murdered so-and-so or anything like that. Now, that's not that's not my expertise, but I'm able to help in, in law enforcement through the years, and some of the stories have been very satisfying. 
All right. I'm curious. You you obviously discovered your abilities here at an early age. How did that come about? Well, I knew what I wanted to do for a living at around five or six years old, but I didn't. I couldn't do this any of this. I had a comic hero. You know, people usually see performers and what have you, or maybe uh, see something in a movie and what have you. But my mother, because I couldn't read then, it was reading to me comic books. And it was a very popular comic that was in the Daily News, the Daily Dunert News, newspapers went around the country, and it was it was in comic books. He was called Mandrake the Magician. Yes. Mandrake the Magician wasn't a magician. He had a hypnotic ability and telepathic abilities, and he was solving crimes and fighting crime and what have you. And I play acted when we went out to play and cops and robbers and what have you. I didn't play a policeman or 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 someone in the new in the comics that was a stop crimes. I played Mandrake, and slowly, as I became a magician early in my career, and was doing magic, was more interested in the power of the mind. And I would do things with playing cards, try experiments. And as time went on, slowly, the the character of Mandrake, I was using my ability to tune in the thoughts of people, and it became part of my performances. And when I, in, in fourth grade and then sixth grade, Miss Galloway, my grade school teacher, would set aside an entire 45 minutes of, of a class uh, and set a show and tell, I would attempt to read the thoughts of my audiences. I remember one case I said, all of you try thinking of a movie you saw, a motion picture, not a movie, a motion picture you saw. And I pointed to to Gloria Palmer in the back of the class, I said, Gloria, you're thinking of a, a movie, aren't you? And she said, yeah, matter of fact, I am. I can remember she's sitting next to Judy Dunn. This was in sixth grade. I said, uh, you know, I told you folks to think of a movie, but this isn't a movie you saw recently, is it? She says, no. I said, you saw it last Christmas, wasn't it? He said, yes. And I named the movie. Years later, after I was already performing, by the way, and doing shows, and when I went to college, the first year in college, I did a two and one half half hour performance of my work. I was already performing and doing concerts in my own way. But at the same time, I found out that Miss Galloway, my grade school, fourth and sixth grade teacher, I did not find out until she was retired and it was recounted to me that she had quietly written a note to each of the main teachers I had in junior high and in high school, my homeroom teacher, and then wrote a note to key people in the college I was attending. Here she had written a note saying simply this, I don't understand what this young man does, but you must support him and encourage him because he has a special gift. Can you imagine a teacher doing that? That is one of the greatest gifts I've ever been given in my life. Yes, that's an extraordinary story. I can tell you stories in my life that are almost unreal. <laughs> Everything about your experience in your life is extraordinary, and that's why I was so pleased to have you on the show. We have been speaking here with the amazing Kreskin, and the fact that you're able to recount all of these stories and experiences just makes it so special for us. I want to thank you so much for being on this podcast, Kreskin. 
And Roderick, Roderick, it's a, it's a, you can use this quote. I'd, I'd say, it's a pleasure talking to you. It's been a joy. And I will not say goodbye, but in the spirit of my performances, be the good Lord willing, we'll talk again. You bet. I love that. Okay, and now we're going to listen to that song of mine that started off the episode. It's called Trippin'. I want to thank you all for listening, and we will see you in the next episode. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss another inspiring episode. You can connect with Robert at robert at followyourdreampodcast.com. And you can hear more from his band at projectgrandslam.com and at thepgsstore.com.